0: We resume our study in the book of Acts so if you'll take your Bibles we'll pray the prayer that we always pray as we open up this the fifth book in the New Testament can you hold your Bible up in the air as we pray together dear Lord thank you for your wonderful acts what you did then would you do again and what you did through them would you do through us in Jesus name Amen Now open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, and in just a moment we'll look at two verses, Acts 13 verses 38 and 39, Acts 13 verses 38 and 39. It was a splendid afternoon on that day in May of uh, 2000, I'm sorry, April of 2008 when two college women's softball teams, one from Oregon and one from the state of Washington, squared off against each other beneath the blue sky and against the backdrop of the Cascade Mountains.
1: The setting for this one was a bit different. In a small town in the middle of Washington State, on a field inside a chain-linked fence, in a game fewer than a 100 people saw, a home run memorable not for the distance it traveled or the game it decided, but for the meaning it carried. The last Saturday in April, the second game of a softball doubleheader between Central Washington and Western Oregon. Well, we
2: were both neck and neck fighting for the conference championship.
1: As a senior, this was Sarah Tukolsky's last chance to win a championship. She'd never hit a home run before, not in college, not in her life.
3: A 5'2", I'm not very tall. Um, I'm more a line drive hitter. I don't hit for power.
1: But in the top of the second inning with two runners on, on the second pitch, that changed.
3: I hit that pitch and it just went.
2: (laughs) And we're just cheering and the runners are cheering us around the base to head home. And then I'm going where's Sarah.
1: Excitement. Tukolsky failed to touch first base, so she quickly turned back.
3: Her pivot leg just didn't pivot with her, and I heard her kind of yell, and she just dropped to the ground. I was like, Oh no! Just fell immediately, and was in a lot of pain. Just, you know, I tried to keep my leg straight, but I was in so much pain that I couldn't really keep still.
1: Tukolsky, with a torn ACL, crawled back to first base. She was a long way from reaching home plate and keeping her first and only home run.
0: When she got back to first base, she just, she laid there and she hugged on to first base. And then I, at that time, I was staring at the base and I go, what on earth are we going to do?
2: And I turned the umpire standing right next to me. I said, what is the ruling if I put somebody in for Sarah? He said, it'll be a 2 run single
1: if anybody would have on um, her team would have helped uh, Sarah she would have been a called, a called out that was the problem none of Tukalski's teammates were allowed to touch her
0: mmm what are they gonna do now that was mean of me to stop the video right there wasn't it <laughs> but look at the problem here Sarah Tokolsky hits a home run, forgets to touch first base, her coach tells her to come back, and when she pivots, she tears the ACL in her knee, drags herself over to the bag, and there she hugs first base. The coach wonders if they can help her, he says, well, only at the expense of the home run. Sarah doesn't want to leave the field, She wants to score the run, but she can't stand, she can't support herself enough to round the bases. Her teammates can't help her. She can't help herself, and it occurs to me that she is a picture of you and me. We're in the same situation. We've fallen too. Not on a baseball field necessarily, but we've fallen. We've broken promises. We've tried to do what's right and we've failed. We've tripped, tripped and fell in our dishonesty or our immorality, our right? inconsistency. We've fallen, flat on our backs. We want to get home, want to get to heaven, but how can we? What does God do with people like us? What does God do with fallen people? You know who loved to answer that question? The Apostle Paul. I mean, you just raised the issue. And it seems like every time he picks up a pen to write or stands up to speak, he's talking about the forgiveness of sins. In fact, he made forgiveness the theme of his first recorded sermon. In this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. Paul, more than anyone, knew what it was like to stumble and fall. His collapse came on the the road to Damascus. He wasn't rounding first base, but he was rounding up Christians. He was the sheriff of the Pharisees, and he was going to kill anything and everything Christian. He was the self-appointed moral policeman, the Pharisee of Pharisees he called himself. That is to say, he was the most rigorous and religious of any of the spiritual people of his day. God brought all that to an end on the road to Damascus. You may remember the last time we studied about the life of Paul in the book of Acts. He was on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him in a vision that was so bright that it knocked Saul at the time to his knees left him blind with no direction to look except inward. And there God left him in the town of Damascus for three days. He didn't eat or drink. He only thought and he only looked at what he could see inside himself. And what he saw was a hard, stony heart the size of a fist. All his rules and scruples and law keeping and regulations had not made him into a better man. But a hard man. And when he was told by Ananias. That he could have his sins washed away. And that he could be baptized. And have a fresh start. He didn't ask for a second invitation. And next thing we read. He's preaching. About the grace of Christ. And in a few short years. He heads out. On his first missionary journey. He's partnered with a man named. Barnabas. And that's where we find ourselves because the first missionary journey is recorded in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. The whole journey took about three years and it led him through several different cities. They sailed first to the island of Cyprus where they preached at the cities of Salamis and Paphos. And then Paphos, they sailed from Paphos, they sailed to Perga and Pamphylia. They then went to a town called Antioch in Pisidia, a different Antioch than the one from which they came. Then they went to Iconium. They went to Lystra. And in every city, they suffered dangerous threats and persecution. They went to Derby, where they would later find a young disciple named Timothy. They went back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch and Pisidia on the way back home. They preached in a town called Perga, then took a ship from Italia, the principal port of Pamphylia, and sailed through Seleucia back to Antioch. Again, this journey lasted about three years. It takes up two chapters. In Acts chapter 13 and 14, there are many different places in this journey that are worthy of our attention. But I can't help but think that perhaps the one most worthy of our attention is the sermon that he gave in Antioch in Pisidia. Because this is the first recorded sermon from the Apostle Paul. Certainly it's not the first preached sermon. But it is the first one that has been recorded for us to read And he began this sermon with a review of the entire Bible. And then the core of the sermon is found here in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. In this man Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. I wonder when Paul began to understand grace we're not told maybe it was on the road to Damascus maybe it was during the three days of darkness maybe it was a few days later he really began to understand but at some point Paul got it Paul got grace and because Paul got grace grace got Paul and he embraced this improbable offer That God would make us right with himself, by himself, through the gift of himself. And Paul spent the rest of his life talking about the grace of God. And I think you'll have to look a long time before you'll find a better summary of the life message of Paul than right here, Acts chapter 13. Look at the first sentence. In this man Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sin. Paul wants you to know that it's possible to have forgiveness for your sins. Now it's very possible for us to make that announcement and somebody go, well, what's the big deal? Because we live in a culture that doesn't make a big deal out of sin. When Tiger Woods confessed his sins last month, he posted a sentence on his webpage that read like this. I have let my family down, and I regret those transgressions with all my heart. After the statement appeared on his web page, the word transgression topped Google Trends' most watched and searched terms. People were looking up the word transgression. They did not know what a transgression was. Do we know what a transgression is? Do we know what sin means do we understand the significance and the gravity of sin exactly what does sin mean and why does it matter again leave it up to the Apostle Paul to give us a one sentence answer he said all have sinned all fall short of God's glorious standard God says I need you to cover the bases and you can't get past first base you have fallen short of my standard what is the standard that God set in the story of the Garden of Eden he says that he created man and woman in his own image that is to say that we are the image of God our original design dictated that we would reflect God everywhere we go we would be his image we would speak as he speaks we would think as he thinks we would be his image we would act as he acts behave as he behaves so much so that we would be the image the representation of God that when we walk into a room people would say oh my goodness God is in the room I don't know about you but it's been a long time since my wife made that comment since I came when I came home I have fallen short I have fallen short of God's glorious standard I believe we do not understand it's just almost impossible for us to comprehend the original standard that God had set for us that we would reflect him everywhere we go but who among us would say okay I may not have done that so far in life but count on me for the next 24 hours i will reflect god's glorious standard for the next 24 hours raise your hand if you'll say that i can't either i can't promise that i may give it my best but i will trip on first base i can't do it so what do we do jesus by the way did it He met the standard. Christ never sinned. That is to say that everywhere he went, he reflected the image of God. Not once did he turn right when he was supposed to turn left. Not once was he silent when he was supposed to speak, or did he speak when he should have remained silent. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. So when it comes to the standard, Jesus set the standard. So to be sinless is to be like Jesus. Where does that leave us? Well, we may have our occasional moments of goodness, our deeds of kindness, but to reflect the image of God all day, every day, the Apostle Paul said there's nobody living right. Not even one. Nobody who knows the score. Nobody who's alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. We're all in the same sinking ship we've all stumbled we can't get off first base we need some help we need somebody to do for us what Mallory Holtman did for Sarah Tokolsky who remembers where we left Sarah Tokolsky on first base with a torn ACL with a desire to make it around the bases but unable to support herself the umpire said if any of your teammates touch her the run doesn't count so she couldn't support herself her teammates couldn't help her but somebody came up with an idea Mallory Holtman came up with a solution
1: that's when Central Washington's Mallory Holtman a player with more home runs than any other in conference history a player for the opposing team spoke up
3: I went to the home plate umpire and asked if we could pick her up and carry her, and he looked at me a
2: little strange. And the umpire went and said, yes, you can do that. I'm still standing there in shock. I don't, I said, thank you so much.
3: We asked her, she's like, is it okay if we pick you up and carry you around the bases? And I say yes, and you know, and say thank you. And she says, you hit the ball over the fence, you deserve it.
1: For that reason only, because she deserved it, Holtman and Liz Wallace began to carry the injured Tukalski, stopping to touch her left foot on each base as the three made their way around the diamond.
3: We actually started laughing because we were just wondering what this would look like to all the people in the stands. When I looked up, I... I didn't see, you know, giant like smiles and screams. I saw emotion and tears and and people crying. It's a
2: great moment when someone has character to step up and do the right thing at the right time. It's
0: emotional. You're proud. To be associated with those
1: kids. That's the first home run of the season for number eight, Sarah Tarkowski.
3: The fact is, you know, I I made my goal. I hit a home run, and um, yeah, it's my last at bat in my career. But I, you know, made my goal, so
1: I'm proud of myself. Mallory Haltman, Liz Wallace and the Central Washington team lost the game that day 4-2. Sarah Tucholsky lost the rest of her season and her career to a knee injury. But for the spirit of sportsmanship, a greater victory. Made on a long trot around the bases, a trip that truly touched them all.
3: Respect for her and put her in high regards, um, her and her teammates. Then, you know, I can't thank her enough.
0: Now, why was her solution the perfect solution? Why was her solution, Mallory's solution, the perfect solution? Because it rewarded, it rewarded the player and still honored the standard. You see, the standard said that the player had to touch every base. The standard said that none of her her players on her team could help her. But Mallory came up with an idea. The one person who could help her helped her and carried her home you see that's what we need we need somebody who will come up to us and say what Mallory said to Sarah and that is if you'll let me I'll carry you home now I can't do that for you because I've got my own bad knee I've taken my own stumbles we're in the same sinking boat I can't carry you and you can't carry me What you and I need is somebody from the outside who has no injury, who has not fallen, one who has not stumbled to come and carry us home. And who is that? That is Jesus Christ. And what sets Christianity apart as the unique and only grace-offering religion that has ever touched this globe is the promise of Jesus Christ is articulated right here In the words of the Apostle Paul, in Jesus there is forgiveness of your sins. In Jesus, in him in what he has done. And everyone, everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. Only Jesus could help us, for only Jesus was sinless. I couldn't carry you, you couldn't carry me, we're too sinful but jesus personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross so we can be dead to sin and live for what is right you have been healed by his wounds look who takes the initiative god does look who does the work god does look who bears the weight shoulders the responsibility look who ensures our delivery god does Through Jesus, salvation from beginning to end, from start to finish, from stem, stem to stern, is the work of God. We don't do the work. God does not stand up on a mountain and tell us to climb it and find him. No, he comes down into our dark valley and finds us and carries us out. He does not offer to pay all the debt minus a dollar if we can just somehow come up with a dollar. No, he pays every penny. He doesn't offer to complete the work if we can just get it started. No, he does all the work from beginning to end. He does not bargain with us, telling us to clean up our lives so he can help us. No, he washes us clean without our help. God does not say, go and sin no more and I will not condemn you. He says, I do not condemn you. Now go and sin no more. This is the grace of God. The declaration that Paul preached for the entirety of his life with unwearied enthusiasm. What we cannot do, God has done. He justifies us by his grace. And he does so without condoning our sin, without downplaying our sin, without lowering his standard he takes our sin seriously so seriously that he took our sin to the cross he did everything we could not do only one question remains will you let him carry you home I thought it interesting in the story that Mallory requested Sarah's permission can we carry you she said I suppose Sarah could have said no I'll make it home on my own thank you but she did not she responded by saying yes thank you and she let the other girls do all the work and not once did she struggle to take on the responsibility for herself she was smart enough to know that the one who began carrying her would be responsible to deliver her are you smart enough to know the thing the one who picked you up will not drop you he is faithful he is faithful to deliver that which we have entrusted to him our soul he does not get you started and then walk away and say i'll meet you at home plate He carries you the entire journey. I guess we could divide our gathering today into two groups. Those who are being carried and those who are stuck on first base. Where do you stand today? If you're allowing Christ to carry you, then offer prayers of gratitude. And just trust Him. Be grateful for His grace. If you've never accepted His invitation then accept it today. Because the great word of Paul and the great word of God to you is, in this man Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God.